Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I am presenting a series of broadcasts explaining how you can account for all three days and three nights that the Lord Jesus was in the grave. And today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was explaining the circumstance where the Pharisees were rejecting the Lord Jesus as the Messiah, the circumstance that was described in Matthew chapter 12. In this circumstance, the Lord Jesus performed a very important miracle according to the doctrines of the Pharisees. The Lord Jesus healed a man who had a demon who could not see and could not hear and could not speak. This was described in Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 and 23, and then the rejection of the Pharisees recorded in verse 24. In Matthew chapter 12, the Lord Jesus then responds to their rejection by explaining to them that he is no longer going to perform any signs for the purpose of establishing his messianic claim. At this point, the Lord Jesus makes a dramatic change in the way that he performs his ministry. Before this point, he was performing miracles and signs and wonders for the purpose of establishing his messianic claim. But from this point forward, he is no longer going to be performing any miracles, presenting any signs in order to establish his messianic identity. This was the pivotal moment in his ministry where his entire mode of ministry was changed. This is described in Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 38. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The Lord Jesus makes the claim here in Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 and 41, that he is going to be in the grave for three days and three nights, and then he will be raised from the dead, and this will be the last sign that is given to that generation. This will be the last sign that will be given to the people that he is speaking to in order to prove to them that he is the Messiah. Now, of course, there were several signs that he did perform after this claim, there were many signs, there were many miracles that he performed. But the miracles that he performed were only performed for the purpose of responding to the personal needs of the individuals that he encountered. The miracles that he performed were only done in order to meet the personal needs of the individuals that he came across. In addition to that, the way that he taught dramatically changed. Before this, he spoke very clearly to the people and presented to them the truths that they needed to know in order to be prepared for the new covenant 
that was about to go into effect as a result of his death. The ministry that he was performing beforehand was done in the open. It was done very clearly without any confusion. The people knew exactly what he was doing. They knew what he was saying. There was no confusion with regards to his interactions with the people. But after this transitionary moment in his ministry, he then changed the way that he spoke to the people. He changed the way that he communicated with the people in the sense that he began to speak to them parabolically. He did communicate the same truths that he was presenting before, but after this point in his ministry, he spoke to them in parables, not directly as he had been doing previously. And so this was the dramatic change. This was the moment in his ministry where he dramatically changed the way that he performed his ministry and the way that he interacted with the people. From this time forward, he was only waiting until the appropriate time. He was waiting until the appointed time for him to perform the perfect work of salvation in order to redeem humanity and so they could have the opportunity to have a restored relationship with their God. That's what he was doing from this time forward. And so this is where the Lord Jesus made the claim that he would be in the grave for three days and three nights. Now, as we go into the scriptures and we look to see how this claim was fulfilled, then there are many opportunities to have some difficulties in identifying the three days and three nights that he was actually in the grave. Let me give you an example. If we make the initial assumption that the Lord Jesus arrived in Jerusalem the week that he was crucified, he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the week. If we make that assumption, and this would be Sunday, then we can go into the scriptures and walk forward from that specific day and we can come to a conclusion with regards to when he was actually crucified. It is possible to do that. Now, I am going to make the assumption that he arrived on the first day of the week for now. I will address this in more detail later, why I do believe it is true that the Lord Jesus did arrive in Jerusalem on the first day of the week, but I will save that explanation for a little later. At this time, I would like to go into Mark chapter 11, just to give you an example of how difficult it can be to try to identify all three days and three nights. Considering Mark chapter 11, if we look into Mark chapter 11, we see the Lord Jesus entering into Jerusalem. We can read about this beginning in Mark chapter 11. Consider verse 8. This is Mark chapter 11, verse 8. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees, and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna is a contraction. The actual words are Hoshiatna, which means salvation now. It was an exclamation. The people were exclaiming or demanding that the Lord Jesus bring them salvation right now. That's what the word Hosanna means. Continuing in Mark chapter 11, verse 11, it says, And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And then in verse 12, it says, Now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. Okay, this is where you can begin to start tracking the days. If he came into Jerusalem when the people were calling out salvation now, he went into Jerusalem on the first day of the week, 
Then according to verse 12, he returned into Jerusalem the next day, which would be the second day of the week. This would be Monday. And then as you continue to read, you can see other examples of him spending the night somewhere else. For example, continuing in Mark chapter 11, going to verse 19, this is Mark chapter 11, verse 19, it says, When evening had come, he went out of the city. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. He's referring to the miracle of the fig tree withering away because it was cursed by the Lord Jesus. This occurred apparently the day before, according to Mark's account. And so at this point, the Lord Jesus is returning into Jerusalem. He's returning on Tuesday. And then he would be evaluated by the leadership groups in Jerusalem on the third day of the week, which would be acknowledged to be a Tuesday. Now, as you continue to go through the account in Mark, as you continue to go through his letter, and you keep track of these days and the events that take place during these days, then it is very easy to come to the conclusion that the Lord Jesus was crucified on Friday. He was crucified on Friday, and then he rose from the dead on Sunday morning. And so you can look at this account, as I've just described, and you can say, well, here it says very clearly that the Lord Jesus was crucified on Friday and he rose from the dead on Sunday. So why would I say otherwise? Well, the reason why I will say otherwise is because there are some chronological discrepancies here in Mark's account. Now, this may raise a great deal of concern because when we look into the scriptures, we're making the assumption that there are no discrepancies whatsoever. However, in this case, there are some chronological discrepancies. Let me give you a very simple example. If you were to go to a harmony of the Gospels, it doesn't matter where you get this harmony. The harmony of the Gospels is a description of how the different events in the different Gospels correlate to one another. In other words, there was the event of the fig tree being cursed that was described in Mark chapter 11. You can also go into Matthew's Gospel And you can see an account of the fig tree being cursed there. When the Lord Jesus cursed the fig tree, according to Matthew's account, the fig tree withered immediately. However, when you look in Mark's account, there seems to be the impression that the fig tree did not necessarily wither immediately, but that it withered and then the disciples recognized that it had withered the following day. That is an example of a possible chronological discrepancy. In addition, when you go through a harmony of the Gospels, you will also discover that the events happen in different orders in different Gospels. In other words, it's very clear when you look at the Gospels, it's very clear you can tell that the Gospels themselves were not written in chronological order. That's very important to acknowledge, especially when I make the claim that there is a chronological discrepancy. Because there are many chronological discrepancies. We know that there are chronological discrepancies. And so you might think that this is a really big deal, but there is a reason why this is not a concern. Why we are not concerned about the chronological discrepancies. The reason why is because the gospel writers never made the claim that their gospels were written in chronological order with the exception of Luke's gospel. Luke was the only one who made the claim that he wrote a gospel in chronological order. Luke describes this in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, 
just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Luke was the only one who claimed that he was going to write an orderly account, an account of the events in order for his friend Theophilus, because many others had obviously made an attempt to give an account of the events that took place. But apparently they were not written in an orderly way. And so Luke was the only one who made the claim that his gospel was written in chronological order, which shows that the other gospels, and as we compare them with Luke, we can show that there are chronological discrepancies. And it's acceptable to consider that because the other gospel writers never made the claim that they were writing their Gospels in chronological order. And so for us to look and see that there is a chronological discrepancy and hold that against them just is not realistic because they never made that claim. In addition to that, consider the fact that I was reading from the Gospel of Mark. Now, I had been reading from the Gospel of Matthew previously. It was in the Gospel of Matthew that we learned that the Lord Jesus made the claim that he would be in the grave for three days and three nights. And then I made a very subtle shift over to the Gospel of Mark in order to try and find an explanation with regards to how the Lord Jesus was in the grave for three days and three nights. But that was a subtle shift that I made by making a very strong assumption. And that assumption was that Mark was intending to give an account that would show that the Lord Jesus would be in the grave for three days and three nights. But Mark never made that claim Nowhere in the Gospel of Mark do we have the words of the Lord Jesus recorded that the Lord Jesus claimed that he would be in the grave for three days and three nights. Matthew made that claim, but Mark did not make that claim. And so for me to go into the Gospel of Mark looking for the evidence to what Matthew claimed is definitely not a good idea. Because if Mark never made that claim, then why would he feel obligated to give his chronology so precisely that we would be able to answer the question that is found in Matthew? I would consider this to be an inappropriate use of the Gospel of Mark. For us to go into the Gospel of Mark, as I just did, and try to find an explanation with regards to how the Lord Jesus fulfilled what was recorded in Matthew is expecting Mark to document something that he never claimed needed to be documented. And so for that reason, I do not believe that we should go into the Gospel of Mark to try and find the evidence for how the Lord Jesus was in the grave for three days and three nights, because he never made the claim that he would provide the evidence for that, and understanding also that there are chronological discrepancies that we know of in the Gospel of Mark, as well as the other Gospels, with the exception of Luke's Gospel, then we should not be using Mark's gospel for a purpose that Mark did not intend for us to use his gospel. And that's my point. And so if we understand that, then we should turn to the gospel of Matthew to try and track down and identify where these three days and three nights actually come from, because Matthew was the one who made that claim. There are some chronological discrepancies in Mark that we can identify, or some potential chronological discrepancies. Let me give you an example. When you consider when the Lord Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, in Mark chapter 11, he arrived in Jerusalem, and then in verse 11, this is Mark chapter 11, verse 11, and Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. 
and then on the next day he returned, and when he returned the next day he went into the temple, and when he went into the temple he cast out the money changers the following day. I believe that this is a chronological discrepancy, and the reason why I believe that is because when the Lord Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, and all these people are in front of him and behind him, proclaiming that he is the Messiah and calling out to him, bring salvation to us now, I would not expect the Lord Jesus to go right into the temple and do nothing but just simply have a look around, turn around, and then just leave. That would not correspond very well with what we know about the character of the Lord Jesus and how he was performing his ministry while he was here on earth. When we go to the Gospel of Matthew, he did not say that he just looked around, went out of town, and came back the next day and then threw out the money changers. That's not what Matthew recorded. Matthew recorded that he threw out the money changers and the people who were buying and selling in the temple right at that moment. It was right then at that moment when he entered into the temple. So there's a potential chronological discrepancy here. This is a possibility. Or it could mean that the Lord Jesus did it twice. He did this the day before and the day after. And that's a legitimate way to consider that. The next possibility with regards to where the chronological discrepancy may occur has to do with the fig tree. That when the Lord Jesus looked at the fig tree in the Gospel of Mark, he cursed the fig tree and said, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And then the fig tree withered, but the fig tree in Mark's account was apparently withered the following day, or at least it was the following day when the disciples recognized that the fig tree was withered. However, if you look at Matthew's account, Matthew says that the fig tree withered immediately. Now again, you could say that the disciples saw the fig tree withering immediately that day, and they also mentioned it again the following day. That is a way to try to reconcile the two differences between Matthew and Mark. That is a way of reconciling those two differences. But regardless of that, what I am trying to say is that these are possibilities. These are potential areas in Scripture that we can go to and we can see where a possible chronological discrepancy has occurred. But again, Mark never made the claim that he wrote his gospel in chronological order. Matthew did not make that claim either. However, Matthew did make the claim that the Lord Jesus would be in the grave for three days and three nights, whereas the other gospel writers did not make that claim. And so if we are going to look for the evidence for the Lord Jesus being in the grave for three days and three nights, we need to turn to the Gospel of Matthew in order to find that evidence. Now, before I turn to the Gospel of Matthew, I would like to spend some time in the Gospel of John. Because the first thing that I would like to do is verify or show that the Lord Jesus arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the week. It's very important to know exactly what day he arrived in Jerusalem in order to walk forward in the Gospel of Matthew, in order to see the events taking place, and to see where the days begin and where they end, and so we would know when the Passover would be held, and so that we would also know when he would be crucified. And so it's very important to know what day he actually arrived in Jerusalem. Now, if we consider the Gospel of John in chapter 12, we do have a good description in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, that do give us a good indication that he did arrive on the first day of the week. But we have to look at it very carefully. Consider John chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. This is John chapter 12, verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. 
So we know that six days before the Passover, he arrived in Bethany. Now, if you continue to read in this chapter and you go to verse 12, then you can see in verse 12, John chapter 12, verse 12, it says, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so what we have is we have John chapter 12 verse 1 saying that it is six days before the Passover. And then as we continue to read in John chapter 12 verse 12 that the next day after he arrived in Bethany, he went to Jerusalem. Now, if this is the case, then let's consider how many days it would be before the Passover, according to John chapter 12, verse 1. In John chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Six days before the Passover, he arrived in Bethany, and then the next day he arrives in Jerusalem, which gives the indication that the Lord Jesus arrives in Bethany on Saturday. If that's the case, then he arrives in Bethany on Saturday, and it would be six days before the Passover. And so the next day of the week, which is Sunday, would be five days before the Passover. Monday would be four days. Tuesday would be three days. And then Wednesday would be two days. Thursday would be one day before the Passover, which would indicate that Friday would be the day of the Passover, which is the very day that the Lord Jesus was crucified. Now, we can look at this and then we can say, well, my goodness, here is more evidence that shows that the Lord Jesus was crucified on Friday. But there's one more little detail that isn't being considered when we look at John chapter 12 in that context. The detail is that he arrived in Bethany on Saturday. That's the assumption. This is the assumption that you will have to make if you are going to assume that the six days before Passover means that he is going to be crucified on Friday. But there is a very significant problem if we say that he arrives in Bethany, and that is that Saturday is the Sabbath day. If he arrives in Bethany on the Sabbath day, then that means that he left one place on the Sabbath day to arrive in another place on the Sabbath day, which means he violates the Sabbath law by leaving his dwelling place on the Sabbath day. That would be a direct violation of the law of the Sabbath day, of the commandment that was given by Moses that you are to rest on the Sabbath day. The Lord Jesus would be violating the commandment of God. In addition to that, we know that he had traveled from the region of Jericho over to Bethany, that that was the route that he was taking, that he was traveling from the region of Jericho over to the region of Jerusalem. And there is a significant change in elevation from Jericho to Jerusalem. The elevation in Jericho is approximately 853 feet below sea level. And the elevation in Jerusalem is approximately 2,133 feet above sea level. And so you would be looking at a difference of approximately 3,000 feet in elevation. For the Lord Jesus to travel from one location to another with a significant increase in elevation of about 3,000 feet, that would mean that the Lord Jesus was performing a certain amount of work in order to travel from one location to another. And so not only is he violating the Sabbath law by leaving his dwelling place, but he's obviously violating the Sabbath law by the amount of labor that would be necessary for him to exert in order to move from one location to another, especially with such a significant change in elevation. That would be in violation of the Sabbath law. And so for these reasons, I sincerely believe that the Lord Jesus did not arrive in Bethany on the Sabbath day. 
Instead, he arrived in Bethany on the day before the Sabbath. That's what I believe, even though John did not give that explicit detail. Now, if John did not give that detail, and we read John chapter 12, assuming that that detail was omitted, then again, we would be suggesting that John did not write his gospel in complete chronological order, detailing every day and every night of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. But we know, we can read through the gospel of John, and we can tell that John was not giving complete details with regards to chronology or with regards to every detail of every day and every night, especially because John never made the claim that Jesus would be in the grave for three days and three nights, and so we shouldn't be looking in the Gospel of John for details that would prove that the Lord Jesus was in the grave for three days and three nights, just as Mark never made that claim. For the same reason, we should not be looking at the Gospel of John in a chronological fashion such as that. And so when I look at John chapter 12, verse 1, when he arrives in Bethany, Because of the law of Moses, I have great confidence in being able to say that when he arrived in Bethany, he did not arrive on the Sabbath day. However, I would also say with great confidence that shortly after the Sabbath, which I believe is the first day of the week, he did enter into Jerusalem, but that also would not be on the Sabbath day. So we do have a slight time differential between him arriving on Friday, the sixth day of the week, in preparation for the Sabbath, and then he would be resting on the Sabbath day and then arrive in Jerusalem on the first day of the week. And if that's the case, then we would count forward six days from the Passover, starting with Friday, which means that Saturday would be five days before the Passover, Sunday would be four days before the Passover, Monday would be three days before the Passover, Tuesday would be two days before the Passover, Wednesday would be one day before the Passover, and so Thursday would be the day of Passover, which means that the Lord Jesus was crucified on Thursday, not on Friday, if we consider that the Lord Jesus would not have traveled from Jericho to Bethany on the Sabbath day. Now, if the Lord Jesus was crucified on Thursday, then you have three days and three nights, because you have Thursday being one day, and Friday and Saturday being the other two days, and then Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night being the three nights. And so we can account for the three days and three nights just with this simple example, but there are many more details that we do need to explore, and I will continue in the next broadcast in the Gospel of Matthew, accounting for the three days and three nights. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net thank you